Well, good morning. Welcome. Can we thank the worship team? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings to you. Praise the Lord. Great to have all of you back. Thank you, worship team, for the beautiful reminder, beautiful songs. Tate, thank you for your opening. We're going to be speaking today about how to get to know each other better. Welcome back, students. Seniors, this is your last semester. So let's give it a hand for the seniors as they pull through. Sophomores and juniors, hang in there. You're fighting it. Let's give a hand for sophomores and juniors, right? Freshmen, you're almost done with your first year. Let's give it a hand for all the freshmen. <clears throat> yes. We're all in this together, amen? Praise the Lord for Cornerstone for this opportunity to be together. The Lord is good, isn't he? Take congratulations on you, baby boy. Christmas Eve, we had 70 people in Virginia in our home in Virginia. All the kids got together, and our daughter, one of our daughters, did a gender reveal for our second grandbaby. And then she came to me, she says, Papa, here's the card, open it up, it's your gift. So my wife and I had the privilege of opening the card and finding out what this new grandbaby would be, who it would be. And as I opened up, it said, it's a boy. Everyone erupted at home and we cried and hugged and we prayed and we reminded ourselves of how good the Lord is to us. I will tell you students, I've been in this country for 42 years. I remember when I came with nothing. And I sat during Christmas, and the Lord, you've blessed my wife and I with six kids and in-laws and grandkids. We are unworthy. He is so good, isn't he? He is so good. So I want to spend some time before we get into the meat of the message this morning, together, praying to the Lord together and thanking him for his goodness. In Psalm 107, I would encourage you students to read Psalm 107. Psalm 107, the Lord gives this insight into different kinds of people and the trials they go through, and yet every segment of that psalm concludes by saying, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. He speaks about those who have no city to dwell in, no place that they can call home, the immigrant. And they cry to the Lord, and guess what? He becomes their home. And he blesses them with goodness. And he speaks about those of us who rebel, who are in darkness. That sometimes we put fetters and chains on ourselves with our sin or rebellion. And yet the Lord says in Psalm 107 that those cry out to the Lord in their difficulty and their pain and suffering. And guess what? The Lord delivers them. And he says all that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And then at the end of Psalm 107, he speaks about those of us who in our daily life, just doing our work, encounter suffering. And he speaks of sailors out in sea who go out and encounter massive storms. And the scripture says they totter in the ship. They have no longer any wits as to what to do. And guess what do they do? They cry out to the Lord and he delivers them and brings them home safely. And then he says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And in the last part of Psalm 107, the Lord says, I bring water where there is no water. Life where there is no life. Flourishing where there is no flourishing. Oh, that men would praise me, for I am good. He is good, isn't he? So I want, us to, I want, I want to ask all of us, wherever you may be right now, to get together with those around you and pray together. 
So get, it, get into a little group wherever you may be, the person next to you. This may feel a little uncomfortable, but it's a good way to get to know each other quickly. And get together with those around you. Put your hands around each other. And I want to ask you to, together, let's pray and thank the Lord for his goodness. Think of God's goodness to you last year. Think of God's goodness to you now. And praise him and thank him for his goodness. So we'll spend a few moments doing that together. If you don't have a group, find one. If you see someone without one, find a group and, and let's all get together, put our hands around each other, and let's spend time in prayer. <clears throat>
Father, help us, refine us, strengthen us, Lord, to be more like your son. We confess, Lord, that we can't do this without your grace, your spirit, your word. Strengthen us when we are feeble and weak. Forgive us, Father, when we don't want to turn to you. Thank you for your grace and mercy and your continual wooing of us to you. We ask now for your blessings on you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. And one more thing, let's all stand and give each other a holy hug. Welcome back once again. It's great to fellowship. We have about 15 minutes. I want to focus on some review, what we've talked about together in the fall, and speak about something very important about how we get to know each other. To be good friends to one another, we need to be able to know each other. It's not easy, is it? During Christmas break, we encountered 15 family members. We had air mattresses. We slept on the floor, all those things. We got to know each other, and we thought we knew each other, but we really got to know each other for two weeks. It's beautiful, good, hard work to get to know someone. We've had this beautiful scripture be the centerpiece of this year. I want us to read it together. Please join me. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Here's Jesus. Spending three chapters, a long evening with the disciples right before he goes to Calvary. And he shares with them some top secret information. He brings him into his intimacy, into his secrets as it were. And shares with him his love and gives him final instructions. But he shares with them this powerful, beautiful truth. You are my friends. I am your friend. And I'm going to show you how much of a friend I am. I'm going to sacrifice myself, my life for you. And I will share with you the truth. All the truth that I've heard from my father, I will give those to you. We've spoken during the fall with this verse and these three themes. A crisis of loneliness in our country. If you remember, in the fall we talked about, we had some statistics here that's, that say that about one in er, out of every two Americans believe they are lonely. It's a lot of people. In theory, we could say that half of us in this room are lonely. And this loneliness is so deep that some believe or interpret in the following way. If I were to cease to exist, no one would notice. That's sad, don't you think? If I were to cease to exist, no one would notice. No one really sees me. May that never be said of any of us here on this campus. May we never say that. May we love one another and care for one another deeply. We also spoke about friendship recession. That over the last 10, 15 years, people, Americans, 
are beginning to have less and less and less friends. Right? That we have less friends who are close to us, less friends with whom we share, less friends with whom we live life together and share intimacy. And then there's this paradox of loneliness we spoke about. We're more socially connected than we have ever been. We have more virtual friends, do more texting, more social media than ever, and yet we are more lonely than ever. And we spoke about the demands of friendship. Friendship takes work. It's easy to text one another. It's easy to do likes and do that social media, internet sort of connecting point. But the demands of friendship, of conversation, of getting to know someone, it's beautiful, good, hard work. It takes time. And sometimes we shy away from that hard work. Sometimes it's easier, we would think to ourselves, to be alone. Sometimes maybe we may think it's easier to just not get together with people because people are messy. And relationships can be messy. So sometimes we prefer to just be friends from a distance, not close by. That's not Jesus, amen? The beauty of our Savior is that he took on flesh and dwelt among us and was here with us. He wasn't a friend from a distance. He walked with us. In the fall, we spoke about the demands of friendship, and I will quickly review these to get to our topic today. We spoke about three demands of friendship. I suggested to us together that to be a friend, we have to get, be willing to know one another and allow ourselves to be known by others. Real friendship is predicated, is grounded on knowledge. I open myself to others and allow them to know me, and others open themselves to me and allow me to know them. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that today. That's a hard thing to do, by the way. We can come up with lots of excuses why not to do that. We spoke about doing good. Real friends do good for one another. Real friends don't do harm each other, don't do evil to, uh, to others or to each other. They do good. And real friends allow and accept that good to be done to them. We don't reject it and push it away. That's hard to do as well. It takes great humility. Real friendship also, the demand of friendship also means we are actively sacrificing for our friends and we actively are open to receiving the sacrifices of others on our behalf. That's hard work, don't you think? To sacrifice for others. That's hard work. It's beautiful hard work. And yet real friendship demands it. And Christ is the perfect example who says, I will lay down my life. Not just at Calvary, but if you look at his years on, on earth with the disciples, he sacrificed his life and his time for his friends over and over and over and over again. But also real friendship means we are open to the sacrifices of our friends. We spent that, we, we, did a lot, we went through a lot of scripture in the fall. A lot of scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament speaking about these things, how God, how Christ is perfect friend. And he embodies all of these things. This is a quick review. So these things, students and faculty and staff, are very important for us. I will tell you, they're really important for us in our country right now because we are living through a time of tremendous hostility, fragmentation, distrust, and suspicion 
in our country. Don't you think? You feel it everywhere you go. Everyone's suspicious of each other. We see everyone as a threat. And the media and journalists and social media bloggers and influencers label people in different categories, and we see people through all those things. I think it's more difficult today to be a friend than perhaps any other time in history. And yet, Christ calls us his friends and asks us to love one another as he loved us. In other words, to be a friend to others the way I have been a friend to you. What a great call and opportunity, amen? May the Lord give us strength. Now, we're going to spend time on this first one in a deeper way. Some scripture, but also some, some analysis. Knowing another and being known by another. And I want to do it through the, through the vantage point of this book. How to Know a Person. Published in October of 2023, just a few months ago, by David Brooks. He's a journalist, writes for a number of significant newspapers. I've read and followed him for quite some time. He writes this book on how to know a person. He does it because he's so concerned about the lack of friendship and friendliness in our country. The divisiveness that we are living in and through and at times participating in ourselves. And he speaks about what are the characteristics, what are the kinds of things we need to do to know someone so that we can be the kinds of friends we need to be. And he speaks of this. There are two kinds of traits, he says, among, for us as people. We tend to either diminish people in how we interact with them and treat them and see them, or we tend to illuminate them. He says there are diminishers in the world, and there are illuminators. And a diminisher, the diminisher kind, he says, are when we, with every interaction we have, minimizes and lessens the humanity of the other person. God forbid, amen, that we do that. We diminish people, he says. We tend to diminish them, sometimes not even knowingly. And we lessen their humanity. We lessen their significance. Or it can be illuminators. We look at the other person, our friend and others, and we care deeply for them and bring flourishing and life into their lives. We illuminate them. He says they're diminishers, and they're illuminators, or we all have these traits. At times we select who we want to diminish and who we want to illuminate. God forbid, amen? God help us. Why we diminish? One of his first two chapters, he speaks about this. Here are the traits of diminishers. Here are the kinds of things we tend to do in how we interact with friends and others that diminishes them, that lessens their humanity, that makes them feel like they're unseen, unheard, unknown. We're full of egotism. We're all about me, myself, and I. I had a family member when I was young who gave me this piece of advice. I have worked hard to reject it all my life. But here's what he said to me. Just remember this when you grow up. Think of yourself first, Think of yourself second, and think of yourself third. That's not good advice. <laughs> but you talk about egotism, there it is. I dare say we all have some of this. The first trait of a diminisher, of diminishing, 
we focus so much on ourselves that everybody around us is lessened. Fear and anxiety. We're so full of fear and anxiety in our own heads and in our own hearts that we, everything we see around us, we see it through that. The voice of anxiety and fear is so strong in our heads and in our minds and in our hearts that we downgrade other people. We focus solely on ourselves. He speaks about this other way of thinking where we sometimes believe that only our perspective is true and real. And therefore, every other perspective should have no oxygen to breathe. Should never be heard. Only my perspective is true. Or, he says, some of us believe that everybody else is simpleton except me. No one really understands me. I'm so complex, so nuanced. I've suffered so much. I've conquered so much. I've done so much. Whatever the case is, no one gets me. Everybody else's life is really simple and uncomplicated except for mine. And therefore, we diminish everybody else. Or, he says, we like to generalize and stack. We generalize. Think about, I was watching the Iowa caucuses in the last two days. And my wife was, said, why is it they always reference white evangelicals? Like, what does that mean? Why does the media only talk about white evangelicals? A generalization that carries a lot of baggage, don't you think? We generalize. You can pick white evangelicals, you can pick black evangelicals, you can pick whatever Republican, Democrat. We generalize. We take a tag and we apply it to everyone and we downgrade everybody with it. Or we stack. We find one characteristic that we don't like about someone and then we build on that characteristic. That person, that individual is this. Fill in the blank. And therefore, he or she must be all these other bad things. Or, he says, we believe deep down that people are static. Someone makes one mistake, one sin, and forevermore we see them the same way. They can't ever be different. They can't ever change. They can't ever rise above that. That's just the way they are and will always be. Or, he says, we're always looking for threats. We live our life in such a way that everything is a threat. These are serious, diminisher qualities, don't you think? And I dare say every single one of us, to some degree, are guilty of these things. God help us. God forgive us. He says this leads to people saying they're seeing, but they're really not seeing. Or as he accounts a mother and and daughter conversation, he says the daughter says, my mother doesn't even know I'm really here. While we illuminate, I appreciate, Tate, how you started the the day. I don't think you ever saw my slides, did you? There you go. This is is divine then. (laughs) Illuminators see others in the image of God as living precious souls with eternal significance and dignity. And every human being they come into contact with, they've taught themselves to think this way. They're made in the image of God, and they're precious. 
they've learned to live a life of tenderness. I have to confess to you students, I went home, and my mom lives in our home in Virginia, and my mother came to me the last day I was there and was so vulnerable with me, opened her heart to me and said, please, and she gave this big sentence and stopped and looked at me. I sent this a profound humility to her son. A very beautiful, powerful, intimate moment. And I saw my mother for the first time as such a beautiful, tender, fragile woman who was bearing her heart to me about her life and her walk with the Lord and where she is. And I will tell you, my heart filled with tenderness. I just grabbed my mother and just hugged her. I said, Mom, I love you, Mom. I will never, ever, ever forget you, Mom, and all you've done for me. I pray that that's how I live every day. It's hard to live that way every day. It's easy to be tender to some people, yes? Not with others. And yet we're called to illuminate tenderness. We're also actively receptive and curious. We are curious about people. We want to hear them. We want to understand them. We want to listen to them. We're also characterized by affection and compassion. It's easy to be hard, I think. It's easy to be harsh. It's easy to be stiff-arming. The Lord was full of compassion toward us. And illuminators model that. We also, illuminators also see others for what they could be, not what they are and what they have been. Think about this. When you're struggling, when we're struggling with a friend or a family member or something is very difficult and we pray, I want to encourage us to pray and say, Lord, help me to remind myself that this man or this woman, this friend could be this. And you're forming them into the image of Christ and help me to see them that way. Not the way they are right now. Seeing others for what they could be. Praise the Lord for that, amen? For the hope that God gives us to transform us and refine us to the image of his son. They're always looking for beauty, not always looking for threats. This is the trends of an illuminator. Think about what the, what the scripture says to us about the Lord himself. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord, our Savior Jesus, embodies being an illuminator. Not a diminisher. Lastly, he also said that real friends, to get to know someone well, not only have to, do you have to be an illuminator, and I'm going to challenge all of us here today to think about the illuminating part and ask the Lord, Lord, am I a diminisher or am I an illuminator? And Lord, if I see the traits of diminishing, forgive me. Keep me from turning to those and help me to turn away from those. And Father, help me to be like Jesus Christ, the illuminator, in how I treat others around me. But then, Brooks also says in the book, you have to illuminate, but you have to be willing to accompany others. That simply means this, live life with them. Be faithfully and actively present in other people's lives. Cry when they cry. Rejoice when they rejoice. Attend their events. Celebrate when they celebrate. When they're struggling, pray with them and say, I'm here to help you. When they're caught in something that's not good, encourage and pray with them and say, look, let me help you pull you out. Not easy to do. 
actively live life with them. Accompany them. We know this is difficult. We're all busy. We're all individuals. And we all want to respect other people's spheres. And we want them to respect their own spheres. But I want to share this with you. Christ calls us to illuminate the lives of others. And to break into the spheres of others. And live life with them. So we get to know them and see them and know them and allow ourselves to be known and to be seen by them. Students, as we close, and Tavi can come and help lead us into the benediction song, I want to encourage us this year to think deeply about let's illuminate each other's lives. Let's not diminish our lives. Amen? Let's live with each other and accompany each other. Let's not ignore each other. So please stand and Tate, please lead us.